Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to share with us uh, either through YouTube for the video or through iTunes, Spotify, and now on Amazon uh, Prime for the uh, audio. Uh, we always invite you to let us know how we're doing with the Thrive Podcast. You can reach me at fredjeffsmith at cox.net. Fred Jeff Smith at Cox.net. Let us know how we're doing. It's been a while uh, because of the pandemic since we've been able to do <clears throat> an interview. So we're grateful for you taking the time uh, to share with us today. And we're grateful for our guest today because right now uh, he's a very busy man. Mr. Darrell Hurst is a candidate for the District 5 Metro Council seat here in Baton Rouge with the election coming up in November. Mr. Hurst, thank you for taking the time to come share with us today. Thank you for having me. I think it's so important that we have these opportunities to get the message out to the masses, especially during a pandemic. So I'm hoping that uh, some people hear something today that they like and allow me to make the impact that God called me to do. Yes, sir. So you're a native of Baton Rouge. You're a native of District 5. Uh, you played uh, football for Southern University. That's correct. Got your business degree in marketing uh, from Southern University. That's correct. Worked for AT&T, started your own business. You're an entrepreneur. Yes, sir. And you have decided to venture out into politics. Tell us about the evolution of Daryl Hurst that led to a decision to run for political office. Well, you kind of told the majority of the story, but there's some, some smaller pieces that had the most impact. And so when we look at the sports side of it, it was some amazing guys that put their hands on me that my mom put me in the arms of. They they nurtured me. They made me tough. They uh, taught me life lessons. But the seeds that they sowed in me, they, they didn't fall on hard ground. They fell on fertile ground, and then they reaped the harvest. And so I was able to go to college on a scholarship. But the biggest part about AT&T, which is the, to me the, the strongest part of the story, is that when I got there, I really found out about the intangibles that sports has and the impact that it has long term because AT&T only hired college athletes at the time. Is that and right? It is. And they, for a corporate position, that was a life-changing salary. Um, I'm a kid from District 5, ended up finishing growing up in Scotlandville. Mm -hmm. and, um it, it, for me, it was life-changing. And, and when I moved from Houston back to Baton Rouge, I said, look, my sister's doing well. I'm doing well. My mom was an educator and teachers didn't get paid much money, but we're both doing better than she did, mm -hmm. which is what we all want for our kids. Right. What was her secret sauce? And I realized that she always had us involved in sports, education, but the key component was community service. Mm -hmm. And so when I moved back, I started Elite Sports, which is a nonprofit that focuses on sports education and community service because of those pieces. Mm -hmm. And so I would see opportunities that were given to the south side of Florida Boulevard but were not provided to the north side. Not saying that we couldn't be there, but an example is the daddy-daughter dance at Baton Rouge General Holes. I attended it with my daughter. The tickets were 200 bucks. Mm -hmm. I was like, there's no way 
the com in the community where I'm from that the masses can't afford that. So I created a daddy-daughter dance, the first one in North Baton Rouge at the Jewel Norman Community Center. I went to Johnny Jones's basketball camp. Actually, didn't pay. He's a relative, right? <laughs> he, he told me he told me to come. Uh -huh. He said it's going to change your life, and it did. It changed the relationship between myself and my son long term. And I said, "Wow, other fathers need to experience this." Mm -hmm. And so I knew they couldn't pay four hundred and fifty dollars. So I got with Garrett Temple, and we this, we're on our sixth year of the Garrett Temple Father and Son Basketball Camp. So I've seen gaps in the community. And I've seen the tools and resources that God has given me, and I've been able to put things together to close those gaps. Mm -hmm. But when you work with kids, you try to figure out, why does this one take this road and the other one takes the other road? And so the one that took the low road, I said, well, what was the reason that he went that route? And a lot of times it's because it is, he's in a situation where he can't see beyond his, his, his home life. Mm -hmm. And so I felt that in a position, I could focus on economic development, I mean, when you talk about economic development, that's the, the route to crime. That's the route to a bunch of other things, right? Right. And so by doing those things, I could provide transformation in North Baton Rouge. So the sports led to the kids. The kids led to, led to uh, the need and, 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 the, and the fight for the community, and the fight led to District 5. So uh, you came back from Houston. What brought you back to Baton Rouge from Houston? Man. One of the questions that I regularly ask guests here uh, toward the end is, uh, would you like your children to remain in Baton Rouge, or, or would would it bother you if they went to other places to live? And it's about a 50-50 split. You know, I, I, many want their kids to stay. Many recognize that there are limitations in Baton Rouge, and they uh, voice desires for them to move to broader, bigger pastures, such as a Houston, close, but 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 still a good bit away. You were in Houston. What, what is it that led you back to Baton Rouge? Well, I'll tell you, it had to be God. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only thing, man. I'm not but, sure that's a good thing. <laughs> nah, so that, that's an interesting answer. So it is, man. And the day my daughter was born, I got a call for a significant raise that brought me back home where both sets of grandparents were. Okay. So it was nothing but God because my wife was going to stop working. We needed the help to support with the kids. And he brought us back home and he gave me a, a, a good um, opportunity, both career and financially, to be able to take care of my family. Mm -hmm. Now, my mother-in-law was diagnosed with breast cancer about two weeks later. I'm sorry. After I got that call. And she since passed January 1st of 2018. So... God, it was truly God. He brought us back so we could spend that time with her. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, you know, we followed his calling, his passion, and start um, going into the community and doing that. So if my kids left, um, I would just ask them to listen to God's calling on their life. Mm -hmm. And so whether that be in Baton Rouge or whether that be in D.C. or it could be in Guam, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Wherever he sends them, as long as they're doing his will and, and following his word, I'm okay with it. Sure. So when you came back to Baton Rouge, uh, in, in that you were a native of Baton Rouge, how many years were you, were you in Houston? Uh, between Atlanta and Houston, about five, four or five years. Okay. So in the five years that you were away from Baton Rouge and you came back, uh, had things changed significantly? Uh, or, or did you notice things immediately that were different about Baton Rouge that, it, that you had not perhaps noticed before you left? immediately which is why i'm running right now because 
when you grow up with blight and trash and you grow up with weeds and, and houses that need to be torn down uh, all around you, it becomes your norm, right? I tell people all the time, it's like not making your kids make up their bed or clean their rooms. It becomes their norm to live in filth, and they're okay with stepping over candy wrappers and plates and spoons and um, not having mopped floors and, and clean bathrooms, mm -hmm. and it becomes their norm. Mm -hmm. So when you grow up in those environments, those environments become your norm, so you don't see what other people see when they come to your neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And so I, I give people this example. If you leave and you go out of town for a week, everybody has a house mail, right? When you come back because you've been removed from that house for a long time, that smell hits your nose like when you're moving into a new home, right? Mm -hmm. You get the, This is what my house smell is. Is it good or bad, right? Do I need to freshen up or not? Right. And so when I moved away and I came back, I was able to see how bad our community uh, was in terms of shape, in terms of infrastructure, uh, in terms of the neighborhoods and, and, and people taking care of properties within the neighborhoods mm -hmm. and how they had gone down, grocery stores going away. Um, gas stations closing and not attracting new businesses to those communities that support. I'm not talking liquor stores. I'm talking about other resources that add value to our neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. I immediately saw it. It was almost like a shock factor to me as well. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you bring up an interesting point. One of the things that I pay close attention to or try to pay, pay close attention to is uh, the heightened level of unemployment uh, that exists among African Americans uh, as opposed to uh, Caucasians or uh, the, 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 the overall number. Whenever the news reports unemployment, and this is pre-pandemic, and they talk about how low unemployment is, you have to double that number uh, to get the actual number of African Americans. Uh, and in East Baton Rouge Parish, African American unemployment uh, in many of our zip codes is double digit. Uh, lack of employment opportunities, lack of entrepreneurship uh, leads to lack of income, which leads to an increase in crime and things of that sort. So as a, a, a person who has offered himself uh, to the Metro Council for District 5, what is it that you see that the Metro Council could do or that you could do as a part of the Metro Council to help decrease uh, the, the unemployment level uh, that exists within your district? So I have about an 11-point economic development plan where I can take somebody from welfare to disposable income of forty dollars to $60,000 in four, year, four to six years. Okay. And so one of the barriers with welfare is that I try to go get a job. It's not people don't want to be broke, right? They, they don't. That's why they go, go do criminal activity is because they can't afford the necessities that they need to survive, right? Mm -hmm. So... Uh, my plan takes, it says, okay, you're on welfare and the government doesn't want you to get a job to better yourself because now they take away the resources that you were getting for free. So it makes more sense for you to stay on welfare and get a job because you can't afford the lifestyle that you were living making $12 an hour, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a high level. That's high pay right there. Mm -hmm. So I said, that's fine. Stay on welfare. I want you to be on welfare. Get all the free resources that you can while you go through this program. And when you finish this program, you will jump from welfare to disposable income. But and that, that I have a video coming out later this week that, that'll take you through all the parts of it. And it's not leveraging any new resources. It's closing the communication barrier between the resources and the people that need them.
because that's all it really is. There's so many programs that try to reinvent the wheel, but the wheel has been there. Mm -hmm. The resources have been there. It's about now finding the people and educating them on the resources that are available and how to leverage them to to transition their lives, right? And then number um, uh, number n number two, which is the heaviest point of my economic development plan, is home ownership. So I sat down with uh, with a few people that are on the bank uh, bank board for Guarantee Bank, mm -hmm. and they have twenty two million dollars they need to get rid of just good like just to, so they can have good debt on their mm -hmm. books. You know, the banking industry. So um, I sat down with them. I said, "Look, here's my plan." They said, "We love it. We got some money for you." I said, "Well, the kind of money I need, you may not want to give." I said most banks frown upon home loans under fifty thousand dollars because it brings a certain type of buyer in a certain type of area that they don't want to invest in. Mm -hmm. I said, that's true. I said, so a $3 million loan, if somebody could qualify for it, it'd be great, right? I said, yeah, it'd be really good. Do you know somebody? Because we need, we need to get this debt off the books. I mean, to create the debt, right? Get the money off the books. And I said, well, how about instead of $3 million, we get $130,000 loans? I said, now we take the Walmart approach. You charge, you know, you charge a little bit more interest because a little bit more risk when you're looking at thirty thousand dollar loans. I said, but the person that's renting the house now becomes a homeowner in the same neighborhood, and so now I'm I'm, I'm allowing us to truly buy our neighborhoods back. Mm -hmm. So part of my plan includes fi uh, financial literacy, credit repair, and then home ownership. Mm -hmm. And so they've committed as a part of economic development plan to ensure that the people in our community stop being renters and become homeowners. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when you talk about that, and the reason why I brought all of that up and home ownership has to be the anchor is because everybody's trying to get out of the hood, not stay in it. Mm -hmm. But the only way the median income raises and North Baton Rouge changes is if you get, make the money and you stay there, which has become the number one problem. Because we make the money, we move to Prairieville, we move to Denham Springs, we move to Zachary, we mm -hmm. move to Blue Bonnet, right? Mm -hmm. So the money doesn't stay in our community. And so my plan requires for you to be a part of this program that you purchase a house in um, a few zip codes and that you stay there from three to five years. And so now we raise the median income and then the program catches on like wildfire because I believe education equals income, which equals outcome. And you'll understand what that means when my, when my plan hits the streets. Okay, well, and, and, and that's intriguing. And, and I, I would certainly want to view that plan. But there's another component to that beyond home ownership, and that's bringing in the businesses uh, that should accompany uh, uh, living in a particular that's area. That's correct. Uh, you want to have a grocery store around no, the No corner. doubt about it. You, you, you want to have a drug store close by. You want to have all of the necessary things that people need for uh, a certain quality of life. You want them there as well. And it, home ownership is, is a great thing. What would draw Albertsons, and I'm just using Albertsons as an, as an example, what would draw AG into these areas and, and, and cause them to want to invest in a uh, uh, in, in in District Metro Five, so it, it, it's it's not a one one piece plan, right. and that is a part of it. But initially, we were talking about the individuals that live in the community, right? So I'm going to take you down memory lane of when neighborhood watches and all of those things existed, right? Because they had neighborhood associations that protected the communities, mm -hmm. and so I've, I'm working with Sharon Mann with Republic Waste 
to go in these underserved communities. Mm -hmm. She's committed to pay for every incorporation of these neighborhood associations and help me build these associations. In addition to that, we have family days we plan on putting together so that you put the neighbor back in neighborhood and we get this information. And so one of the main reasons and when I bring up Republic Waste is because a lot of blight that happens in our community it's not our blight, it's people dumping in our communities, mm -hmm. right? Because they see it as a place where it's, 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 it's forgotten land, nobody cares. Right. And so when we do with these community cleanups, that's one thing, but how do we keep it clean? Mm -hmm. And we have accountability, that's number one. So a business is not gonna come into our community when it's heavily blighted, overgrown grass, because those types of things invite crime. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not gonna put in Albertsons and North Baton Rouge if Betty who lives and off of Jefferson Highway is not going, willing to travel from that area of town to my store to uh, to get certain products and services, right? Because they are scared to come in our communities. And so when we educate our people, when we reduce crime, when we reduce blight, um, we can attract certain businesses. But I do have a, a way to, to circumvent that, and it's by creating merchant associations as well. Okay. That makes it inviting. So when you look at old South Baton Rouge, when you look at downtown, when you look at mid-city, man, these areas were surrounded. Beauregard Town is nothing but South Baton Rouge, right? right? So old South Baton Rouge is nothing but South Baton Rouge. But people wanted to feel comfortable traveling from LSU to 3rd Street, so they cleaned it up. And they created a merchant association, and they started pooling their resources on. Well, the Baton Rouge Area Foundation cleaned it up. Baton Rouge Area Foundation bought up all of those residential uh, properties uh, all down Nicholson Drive in order to uh, build uh, this this river complex that they have out there. Not every area of town is going to have Baton Rouge Area Foundation buying No, no doubt for. about it. No doubt about it. But the people that do own the properties, I agree with that. But look at Mid-City. Same thing's happening, right? So Mid-City Merchants Association, that was a part of that, right? Right. And so when you look at it, they pool their resources. They have street sweepers. They have security that comes around it. So a small business that makes $500 a day can't afford a $40-hour police officer for the duration, right? Mm -hmm. And Krispy Kremes and Tony's are that model for North Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. So they set the example. But if I have all the businesses, so right now I'm working with Affordable Home Furnishing. I met with their uh, COO in Lafayette, uh, Frank Brown with Bayou Cafe and Catering, and these are going to be a catalyst in that corridor where the Metro Bowl used to be, right? Right. So if I take all of these businesses and I make them a part of that uh, Merchants Association, so now the facades are taken care of mm -hmm. because I have one landscaper that's landscaping all these businesses and so now it's economies of scale i pay less but the landscaper makes more mm -hmm. right we're pooling our resources now we're looking at facade improvements for the building because we want to create a great corridor for the neighborhoods that we surround right and so we clean that up so now it becomes inviting not just for neighbors but for other people from other parts of the community but not only that, instead of people divesting, they start investing because they start seeing us taking care of our own, our, our own community, right? Mm -hmm. And so it has to be us first. And then I'm not saying city, city and us have to go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. We have to do what we can do and then provide the right oversight from a city standpoint to invest. But when you have people investing their own, in their own merchant associations, so the streets are clean. We, we pool our resources. We have security. We have street sweepers. The facades are there. Now, what is the deterrent for you to come? You, you, it, it takes, it takes the, the stain off of it, and it becomes inviting for somebody like Albertsons. But now, at the same time, while I'm cleaning that up, I'm going through my economic development on a personal level. Mm -hmm. So I'm raising the median income. So now there's stores that look at, I mean, Clint Oaks, 
I looked at the median income, it's about $30,000, right? right? All right, when you go down to the park, which is not outside of the district, it gets in around $20,000. When you look at the heavier part of the district, which is around the Monticello Park Forest area, it's only $40,000 median income. So certain high-end stores are not gonna come because they feel like the people surrounding the neighborhoods don't have the, 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 the revenues to support and sustain that business. Which and, says to me, Forgive me for interrupting, but it, but, but, but it says to me that somebody, somebody's need to speak with some of these businesses about shifting their model around because business folk talk about models. They, they, they don't talk about people. They, they, they try to make it as racially neutral as possible. So they they won't say, well, this group, this area is 75% African-American, so we're not going to invest in that. What they will say is we're looking at income levels. And, 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 and we're wondering whether or not that income level can sustain the investment that we're going to make in into this that area. area. That's and, correct. and we have models and we have experience that says that certain income levels won't sustain the investment. And, and so we're not going to make that investment. That's why you have three Albertsons uh, w within a three mile radius of one another and no Albertsons from uh, from from Florida Boulevard all the way up into Zachary. I'm gonna take and, it even further. And, 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 and to me, it's a way of being racial without using race as as, as the quantifier. Do you understand what I'm saying? A uh, hundred. I'm gonna give you an example. So I called CC's Coffee in November. Right. And I said, Look, I want to open a franchise. And they said, Where do you want to put it? I saw the land that the that the airport owns right behind the fire station on Harden Boulevard. Right. I understand traffic studies. I'm a businessman. So I know what's inviting and what looks good. I'm a businessman. So I said, Well, before I go to the airport, because I need to make sure I have this deal inked so that mm -hmm. nobody else comes in and tries to take the deal from me. Mm -hmm. So they told me on Harding Boulevard, which is a major corridor from Central, Brownsville, Zachary. The Delmont area, yes. Glen Oak, Zion City, that we didn't have a sustainable income for a premium beverage outlet. That was a nice way of saying that too black, many black folks. Black folks don't drink coffee. Yes. There's too many y'all up there. So I read between the lines on it, but I said, what about the uh, the the Smoothie King that the Cangelosi is on right there on Harden Boulevard, right. which is the premium beverage outlet? It's one of the top grossing ones around here, man. Smoothie King, Smoothie Burger King. King. So, McDonald's, so, all there. So I, I understand that the bottom line is they don't understand us, so they don't want to move here. That's what it boils down to. So when I look at inviting grocery stores, I've already talked with affordable home furnishings. I'm going somewhere. Mm -hmm. I've, I've talked about a land, taking the Americana model like that's in Zachary, and, and that they're doing, which is following Houston-based models where I have retail infrastructure that supports my neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. Um I'm trying not to go into too much detail because, you know, the ideas get get stolen and diluted because it's sure. political instead of doing the right thing for the community all the time. But I want to create communities with retail that surrounds them and merchandise that supports the people that live in those communities. And I would love to see that. My, my only I, question is... I have the perfect is, place for it, too. How, how do you communicate to business people uh, uh, in such a way that you invite them, attract them to what it is that you're talking about without repulsing them by calling them out on the fact that they're being racist. Well, it's not that. Because they're being racist. They, they are 110%, but here's the deal. They, like, they, yeah. they, they will never call it what it is, but it's racism. So th there's two different models you look at. So I've been uh, talking to the Crafasi family with High Neighbor, right? Mm -hmm. So they have had a sustainable model in our community for 50 years. 
they understand loss prevention issues. They understand how to deal with it. They, they understand how to merchandise for our community. And they're, they're like the new Nixie and North Baton Rouge. Right. Okay? So they have uh, great meats, great produce, but they may not have the avocados that you want. They may have one type of tomato instead of five. Okay. But they can service our communities and provide high-grade fruits for what they do have and high-grade vegetables. Mm -hmm. Okay. But there's another model where you go to – I've been in contact with Superfoods out of Tyler, Texas – that is heavy in the Lafayette market, which is another model of Albertsons, right? Similar, similar style store of, store of Albertsons. Okay. Maybe a notch higher. Um, look at the HEB. Look at the Kroger's. All right. If you bring those types of models and you bring it to North Baton Rouge, what you do is create a shopping experience that they can't get in South Baton Rouge. So just like Tony's, it does what? It drives that traffic to our neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And so you can sell the uniqueness of them in the market to attract them and show the median income of not just where they'll plant, but the people that will come support them for their, uni for their unique shopping experience. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at different models. Some of it is uniqueness. Some of it is directly supporting the neighborhoods that are there. But Tony's has created that. Krispy Kreme has created that. And I believe that either finding somebody who's found a sustainability model or finding a brand that you can't get anywhere else, either way, it helps North Baton Rouge. Taxes. Um, there's a $75,000 homestead exemption uh, that exists within the state of Louisiana, which means that there, there, there's a significant number of people uh, who live uh, in District 5 who pay little to no property taxes. Yes, sir. Uh, and so those property taxes have to be supplemented by corporate interests, uh, Exxon and, and other corporate interests. There is a bill that is going to be voted on at the same time of your election, uh, Bill 272, uh, that's on the ballot, uh, that would, and, and I'm, I'm abbreviating it for the sake of time, that will allow corporate entities uh, to negotiate directly with the Metro Council, the school board, and the sheriff's office to pay a fee in lieu of paying their fair share of property taxes. So in other words, if company X owes $20 million in property taxes a year, they'll come to the Metro Council and they'll say, well, we'll pay a fee of $3 million in lieu of paying the $20 million in property taxes. How do you respond to that? Well, I got first of all, I don't know the bill that you're talking about, so I want to make that clear before I make the next statement. Okay. okay? So it would take me. You to offer me with ITEP, though. At 110 percent. Yes. So it would take me a little, um, a little research to to find out the depth. One of, one of my peeves is that corporations don't want to pay taxes. No doubt about it. People want to hoard the money and, and not give it back. That's right. what it boils down to. But I will tell you this. You just talked about something in North Baton Rouge, unemployment rates. Right. So how do you leverage something like that to get our people employed? Okay. And when you talk about... Now, that's the thing. So The ITEP thing uh, that, that, that we pushed, that, that the governor uh, uh, pushed a couple years ago, 
demanded that if a corporation comes and asks for tax exemption, that they have to show that whatever it is that they're doing, whatever expansion improvement they're making, will generate a certain number of jobs. This bill says that they can simply negotiate and you don't have to ver verify, validate anything with regard to jobs. Well, but the thing is they can negotiate, they can bring it to the table, but they can't make us do it. We still have to vote on it. So Metro Council has to vote on it. The sheriff is a single person, and, and, and the sheriff can decide to do it by himself. And the school board is separate from the Metro Council. And the school board, you all, assuming that you become a part of the Metro Council, the Metro Council might say no, and the school board might say yes. And so... The, 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 the thing passes with the school board because they have agreed to the X amount of dollars. And, and fair enough, you said you're not familiar with the, with the bill. But it concerns me that improvements, infrastructure, the things that are necessary to do the enhancements that you're discussing Correct. in certain areas require taxes. And this state already has a $75,000 homestead exemption, which means that many people pay little to no That's property correct. taxes That's at right. all. So how, where do our taxes come from? We millage ourselves to death. That's correct. And we have the most regressive sales tax in the nation. So you ask and, me specific. And so you're making poor people who don't have any money in the first place pay more percentage-wise in order to get less in the way of infrastructure, while corporations that have multiple billions of dollars at their disposal are paying nothing. So you ask me, I can only speak on the Metro Council. Right. So my, my, my comment about that to the citizens would be to reach out to your state rep and your state senator and ask about more information about that bill, be versed in it themselves. Okay, but when you talk about from a city contracting standpoint, we we cannot work in a negative, right? We have to have a balanced budget. Right. We're, we're not the state. You can't. You cannot operate in a, in a negative. So the question is, when you remove the taxes, and this is what they should be asking, right? How do we replace them? Right. How do we replace them? And, and so the answer has been, we're going to millage ourselves to death. But but there's a there's another way. So when I look at it, I want to leverage for my district in North Baton Rouge that there's a hiring requirement in a certain area of town. And when you hire in that certain area of town, you have to do a study, number one, to figure out what is the ROI from sales taxes that will be increased by the amount of jobs that will be provided. And when it, would it balance the budget back out? Mm -hmm. So just at a very high level without having taken a, a deep dive into it, um, that's what immediately comes to mind. But what <laughs> prior to that, it's let me reach out to my state rep, let me reach out to my state senator, uh, and independently become versed on what's going on and what their stance is on well, that. Well, this bill is going to be voted on in November. So it, if it passes, this is going to be something that you're going to have to deal it's with. It's game changing. When, when you take office. I, I say uh, that, hold on, hold on. Say, re rewind and say that again. When, when, you, there when you, go. you take office Speaking in, into existence. In, in January, this is something that you very likely might have to deal with, and that's why I brought it up. That's correct. Uh, I, 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 I just feel like it is absolutely ridiculous that corporations uh, supported by Baton Rouge Area Foundation, supported by uh, Baton Rouge Chamber of Commerce, supported by white business people all over the place, uh, would support something like this to circumvent the law 
that says that these entities have to sign off on your tax exemption. All, all, all that, that, that the governor has said is make a case that you are deserving of these tax exemptions to these entities and they'll vote on it. They're trying to circumvent your vote and say, well, no, we ain't gonna vote on it. We're just gonna throw y'all some money and, 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 and y'all will be satisfied with the money that we throw to you. I just, so I, if there, I, if there I, wasn't going, if there wasn't going to be a revenue loss, then I don't think that they will be talking about um, throwing you money. So it's either they expect growth and don't want to pay on the growth, or they— They don't want to pay the tax. Period. But what I mean is, as the business grows, the tax revenue grows as well. So it's either I don't want to have a growth-based tax model, and I want to have a commit to a certain amount of money over a certain number of years, mm -hmm. which um, doesn't help the tax base for the city grow as the business grows, right? Um, number one, or— um, number two, but the bottom line is based on what you're saying, I don't think that it's the right model, but again, I would have to take an in-depth look at sure. it I before I, I give a true versed, um, analysis of it. Um, but at a high level, it doesn't seem beneficial, but I need to take a deeper dive before I, I really give a statement on it. You're an entrepreneur in addition to being a candidate for office. How has the pandemic, uh, affected you as a businessman? Well, I will tell you, I'm in the communications field. Mm -hmm. So the key to getting through the pandemic has been having great communication to remote workers as well as to staff that are in our office, right? And now it even goes out, how do I have proper virtual schooling, mm -hmm. which are all a part of communication tools. So my industry to a degree has grown a little, um, no different than Amazon did, right? Mm -hmm. um, the and, and, and Grubhub and the other ones that had delivery-based services, Instacart. So my business is not necessarily pandemic-proof, but we've seen an uptick to a degree based on the need for communication tools. And, and what happened, the pandemic for my industry ripped, ripped the Band-Aid off and said, hey, we really weren't disaster recovery, business continuity proof, and now we need to... Uh, ensure that we are positioned for long-term growth and, and hopefully nothing like this happens again. But the pandemic did for us what Katrina did for a lot of other businesses, right? So in your district, did the pandemic have a negative impact on employment, which was already at a higher level than in other areas of, of the city? Uh, as you can observe, uh, did the pandemic negatively impact employment for the people who reside in District 5? It did. Uh, you saw a lot of businesses trying to stay afloat. And so they had downturn in the business, so they downsized in, term, in terms of employment base. Mm -hmm. And so you're starting to see those things uptick now that uh, Phase 3 has moved in, uh, moved in and, and, and certain uh, people are feeling more comfortable getting back out. But it did for several months have a, a, uh, a big downturn uh, especially when you're talking about the uh, the restaurant, the food, the food and beverage, food and beverage service industries, mm -hmm. um, those definitely had a major downturn. The the social distancing, you you part of your business experience has to do with athletics and and sports. I love football. I do as well. I think it's an absolute travesty. My own personal opinion. I think it's an absolute travesty that high school and college athletics are gonna go on 
this year with this pandemic and no vaccine. I think it's totally irresponsible for the Louisiana High School Athletic Association, for the NCAA, for the various conferences. I just heard this morning that the Pac-12 has reversed itself. and All the Big Five conferences they're, yeah, they're all going starting to in November, that's right. I think it is the height of irresponsibility uh, for, for, for people to be playing a contact sport like football. You know far better than I. You played the game. I didn't. There's no way to play ball and not and not be in contact. No, it's a heavy exchange of bodily fluids. Yeah. I mean, you're literally on the line breathing in each other's faces, and then you're slapping face masks together. Right. So I believe no different than going – if I had to give my opinion, I believe some people wanted to go back to phase one mm-hmm. when they saw the numbers come up. But it was all about the impact on the economy. Right. And so it became a numbers game. When you look at LSU football – um, I've had some conversations about $500 million in expected revenue this year for the school mm-hmm. and then about $500 million in the local economy due to LSU playing football. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about grocery stores. And I'll go back to when I played at Southern. We both won a championship in 03. Mm-hmm. We had this big parade in the city. I recall. It was the heaviest year for economic growth because of football. Mm-hmm. And so if if it has that big of a direct effect on the economy, imagine, imagine what it had from a, from a downturn standpoint. So the people aren't necessarily worried about the athletes themselves. They're worried about capitalism and sustaining their business, where my concern is about the All people. Right. You just said to me, say it again. Say what you just said again. Oh, it, it's a capitalistic the view. The people are not concerned. With the athletes. With the athletes. Correct. So should not the athletes be concerned with themselves? Should Oops. not the parents of the athletes? For me, it's one thing for professionals, for grown people, to make a decision that that this is my income, this is my livelihood, and I'm going to run this risk. It's a completely different thing for kids, and I don't care how old they are. I'm 58 years old, so so, so if you're 21 years old playing playing football, you're a kid to me. Oh, no doubt about it. It's completely irresponsible, in my opinion, for kids to be exploited in that way for the sake of a dollar. Well, I will say this. I I don't know what the schools are doing. I look at um, the bubble that they did for the NBA. Mm -hmm. Okay, a lot of the protocols that they're taking for the NFL, right? Some of these schools are making hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Some of them are making $50 million. But the point is they have the resources to do certain things to circumvent the spread of it. Now, what they're doing and how they're doing it, I'm not privy to. Um, and a lot of times they won't share that information. But I was okay with the NBA. They kept them locked up. They, they tested them when they came in. Professional athletes. Yeah, but, so they may, be doing some, but they may be doing some of those same things. They make it COVID test daily before practice. I don't know. I mean, they have the money and the resource to do it. So I won't speak on a parent's decision to allow a kid to play. And, and, and as a parent, what I do in every situation is I assess it based on resources that are available as well as impact. And so if you have a school, let's just say it was happening at, uh, at, uh, at Hop- John Hopkins University, where it's a medical institution, right? Mm-hmm. And so they have the research on site, they have the labs on site, and they had a football team where they were swabbing them every day. I'm, as a parent, I may not have a problem because you've taken beyond the necessary protocols to make sure that my kid was safe. So from a, from a league standpoint, depending on what division you're in, mm-hmm. they may need to set a standard. But as a parent, I'm not going to judge a parent or a player for participating in those events 
depending on what protocols have been put in place, and I'm not privy to that, so I won't speak Are they going to do that in the high schools, too? I, I, I've heard a little bit about the LHSAA still somewhat up in the air. Um, they just finalized it to where it starts. I believe it starts this week. Some of them games play this week. This evening. That's right. And then and as uh, this is being recorded. They're playing tonight. Tonight and then tomorrow and then next week as well. So just to, to kick it off. So my um, my answer on that is. And you know, it, I'm, 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 really, I'm not going to judge a parent for what they're. I'm asking your opinion like. as someone who played the game. I'm asking your opinion as a parent. I know, I know, but, here, but here's I'm asking the deal. your opinion as someone your, who works with kids in athletics. So my job as the director of elite sports is to protect the kids and every at, at, at all costs, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm also working with a lot. Sometimes uninformed parents. I'm working with kids who are not 21 years old they might be three to five to ten years old right but when you talk about a high school kid i look at it twofold and i'll tell you there's a lot of kids that don't peak until their senior year mm -hmm. there's a lot of kids that, that have used sports as a way out and didn't get the opportunity last year to showcase their talent so mm -hmm. they missed some of that college window mm -hmm. so as an athlete that understands those things i won't make my opinion on it what i'll do is leave it up to the parents and I leave it up to the kids and let them have that discussion. Okay. Let, so, let, so when you talk about irresponsibility, irresponsibility is subjective. And so while you have an opinion, and I don't disagree with your opinion, but I also don't agree with it because I don't know what protocols have been put in place. Let's look at it from a, from a more global standpoint. Do you think that profit should be put ahead of, of health? No, I don't. Not one, not one bit. Okay. Whether it becomes health care. And so I, I, I understand where you're going with it. Okay. But that's also subjective and perspective as well. But I, I, but I understand where you're going with it. Okay. Um, one of the complaints that uh, uh, some people make with regard to city government uh, is that there are not enough uh, contracts that go to minority business people 110%. From, from the city. So what would be your response to that, or, or how, how would you address that issue? So they've done a recent disparity study mm -hmm. that showed that it was definitely uh, an inequity in, um, with, with uh, minority-owned businesses. Right. And so we just have to, when we do these big contracts like uh, Move BR, um, the green light project that um, that was there when Kip Holden was there. Mm -hmm. We just have to make sure that the minorities are stakeholders at the table as well. And it shouldn't just be left left up to the major companies that get the contract. Those things should be written in so that dollars are earmarked. But I don't just want to give a company to a minority because they're a minority. They have to be qualified to do the job. So number one, they have to be qualified. But number two, we have to make sure we have oversight so that the people that are given these contracts are held accountable to doing it in the highest regard. If we do that, then it close. I believe it, it, it will close the gap automatically because the people that perform well will continue to perform well and the city will lean on them for future opportunities. When you talk about qualification, usually that has to do with financial resources, bonding, things of that sort, uh, especially with construction uh, uh, contracts. Uh, Companies have to be able uh, to uh, achieve a certain bond rating in order to qualify for certain projects. How do you propose that uh, minority businesses that don't have the same access to dollars 
to achieve those bonding levels uh, get to that place? Well, I will tell you, you have to sometimes partner and leverage joint resources, number one. But number two, if a big company like Stantec or CSRS gets these contracts, right, mm-hmm. then that's where you, a lot of this, the work is subbed out. Mm-hmm. So they hold the responsibility for the contract. And that's why I said until uh, we get to the level where we can own some of these contracts ourselves, mm-hmm. then we make sure that the minority, the smaller minority-owned businesses are able to be the subs in these deals to give them some skin in the game and bring them to the table. COVID testing, uh, do you think that there's been enough of it? Uh, I do, the but president I, you know, says that we need to stop testing. On, on testing. <laughs> and if we stop testing, <laughs> we won't have any more cases. <laughs> I, yeah. I, so so I, I was just curious. So here's the deal. I'm not in the medical field. Right. So I, and I'm also not a developer of medical devices, right? And, and a test is a medical device, mm-hmm. okay? And the, the crazy part is that some of these tests have given both false negatives and false positives without ever being swabbed. Mm-hmm. Just the test itself showed up positive. So the one thing that I've seen, I believe in um, two things, uh, a young doctor and an old lawyer, okay? And so... But when it comes to so you, so you want the you do want the newest technology to deal with um, treating some of these things, mm-hmm. but I want a young doctor that's given me a prescription that's been out for the last ten years and has been tested and and approved by the FDA and some of these other things that um, the, the, these other tools and resources that we have in place to make sure that they're okay to be consumed by American people. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that, number one, the tests were put out and mass-produced in too short of a period of time Mm -hmm. for something that we didn't have any idea about, right? And then number two, uh, I'm not taking a vaccine. It's going to take years to come out. And I I make jokes about this all the time. It's like we're rushing a vaccine. When I say not the pandemic itself. Right. But what you're going to see is seven years from now, you're going to have a lawyer commercial on TV asking, did you take the pandemic vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine? Sure. If so, call our law officers. Sure. Because we know that there are going to be some side effects from it because it hasn't been in the market long enough. Sure. uh, To to show the the side effects. I, I, I tend to agree. So... Are you in agreement with the governor's move to phase three, or do you think that perhaps he was prodded a little bit by business interests and conservatives? I think it's both. I'm not necessarily against phase three, um, because you still phase three with a mask on, right? Mm -hmm. So if we still take the proper precautions of social distancing and wearing masks, then we prevent the spread. Mm -hmm. So, and the mask, people think the mask, a lot of masks won't prevent you from getting it, Mm -hmm. but it will prevent you from spreading it. Right. And that's the, people don't understand the purpose is not necessarily for you. And some of these masks are porous, right? But if you cough, it catches your cough before it sends it to someone else. And so... The phase three part of it, I believe the economy has to open to a degree. Mm-hmm. Was he prodded? That's between him and, 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 and God. Mm-hmm. But as long as they continually uh, continually social distancing and, and, they're, and they're mashed up, I'm okay with it. I understand this morning, uh, I haven't seen the news report, but it was told to me that uh, a federal judge uh, ruled that more time had to be given to complete the census. The census was supposed to come to a close at the end of this month, and it's been expanded. 
I believe to the end of October. Uh, as someone who's now stepping into the political arena, can you explain to our listeners, to our viewers, the importance of filling out the census? Because Louisiana is behind the rest of the nation with regard to filling out the census. Well, I would tell you the importance of the census is because resources are allocated to districts based on uh, the census report and population. And so if you don't fill it out, you won't be counted, and your district doesn't get the resources that it needs. Mm -hmm. It's almost like voting. I tell people if voting was not so important, they wouldn't be trying to keep you from voting, right? Right. And so uh, make sure you are registered to vote. Make sure you fill out the census because that's how you control what happens in your community. Um, the census also has a lot to do with when lines are redrawn for districts. No uh, doubt about it. And, and so we'll get a black and, congressional and, district if they fill it out. That's the <laughs> that's the assumption of what's going to happen. So I know it's the hope of some that's people. That's the hope, that, yes. That, 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 that we'll get that, another that we get black congressional black district. Congressional so district. I'm excited about that. But, so. but, but beyond the, the national politics, the congressional district, uh, I think that, well, for me, politics is local. The more local you get, the more involved I am in politics, which is why I'm very interested in the Metro Council, the mayor's race, the judgeships, things of that sort. Next to that, I'm interested in the state legislature. There are things that come before the state legislature uh, that directly impact the people that I serve here at Shiloh and me as a citizen of this community uh, that I don't think get uh, a fair shake because the composition of the state legislature is so heavily uh, conservative uh, because of the way that the lines were drawn. Gerrymandering, so, correct. Uh, the census has a lot to do also with determining populations and redrawing district lines, which is supposed 110%. to take place next year correct. sometime. So, uh, it, it's important on, on a number of levels, in addition to, 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 to the dollars that you're talking about. So if you look at the regentrification of downtown and mid-city, right. I expect that district to completely flip mm -hmm. um, after the census is done. So I would 100% agree with you on that. Um, if you look at the way that District 5 is made up, man, it looks like the state of nowhere. It's like a half circle almost, right? Mm -hmm. And you can't tell me gerrymandering wasn't included. Of course it was. When, when that district was uh, was created. And so my point in saying that is, it's so important that they get counted. It's so important that they vote. And I think those two really go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. When you become counted, you get the resources. And now, with the right leadership in place, we can draw the lines that benefit you and not hurt you. Mm -hmm. You're a member of All Nations uh, Christian Fellowship. Yes, sir. Uh, how are you all dealing with the pandemic? Well, we've been virtual. Um, I'm over the parking ministry. Okay. Um, shout out to all nations, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Pastor Ronaldo Hardy. Absolutely. Uh, uh, but we are supposed to come back in the church November 1st. Okay. I don't know what that model looks like. Um, I miss being there. I miss being in the house of God. I actually snuck in the Beacon Light Sunday. <laughs> Uh, watch mine online, snuck in the beacon light, and I didn't realize that they went open. <laughs> so he let he let me sit in church because nobody was there. But right. it felt so good to be in the house of the Lord. Right. Um, I will tell you this: I take my job as parking ministry director very seriously. Mm -hmm. People look at it as parking cars. I look at it as the first line of defense for the enemy. Mm -hmm. So. When people are crying, coming in church, you sometimes you can just look at someone's face and see a sense of hopelessness. 
and it is your job to usher them in and make them feel warm. Mm -hmm. You can be the the deterrent or you can be the attractor. Absolutely. And we choose to be the attractor. We smile. We are friendly. We'll pray with people. I've seen people walk through the door and turn around and I'm like, no, sweetheart, what you're searching for is in that building. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's the body of Christ. Because mm -hmm. Christ is everywhere. Mm -hmm. But you need to be fellowship, fellowshipping with a body of Christ, a body of believers who can encourage you to 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 come out of whatever you're going through and this is the place to be and so i miss it i'm excited that we're going to open back up november 1st all nations is in district five mm -hmm. um and i encourage people that want a, a great word and i've been here too you know sometimes you got my wife grew up in your church uh yes, you know sir. sheila hill my wife yes. yeah all of so um, but it's not, there's so many great churches, but I believe that there's seasons in your life right. and that God will have you go to three or four churches. It's not church hopping. Sometimes he has you as a, as an infant Christian. And once you get that word and you get developed to the next level, he'll take you somewhere else to, to grow. And so where I am now, I believe God is bringing me into a leadership role, not just in the community, but also in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not a minister, so let me make that clear. <laughs> Parking ministry is yeah. a is a group of the church, but we are all we are all priests. Uh, we're all meant to spread the word of God, and that's why we're here. And so I am one when it comes to that, but I have not been called uh, yet. I Some understand. people say yet, but I yeah. I fully agree with what, with what you just said. I believe that uh, for some people. One church might be the church that fits them for their for a lifetime. Lives. That's correct. For other people, as they move through different stages in their lives, it's okay to 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 go to a place where you can be spiritually fit. Because the whole goal is not that I can say I retained so many members. The That's whole right. goal is that you grow in your relationship with the Lord. And and so I I, I fully embrace what you're saying. I did not know that you guys were getting ready to open up. Shiloh's going to wait a while. Yeah, so <laughs> we're going to wait a while. I'll make you laugh, man. I had to say, so Ronaldo's a friend of mine as well mm -hmm. as my pastor. Um, amazing guy. And I said, let me tell you something, bro. If I leave your church, don't take it personal. I said, because I'm going where God sends me. Yeah. And as a friend, but also as a man of God, he was like, D, I understand. He said, I was in ministry with my dad. And I had crosshairs and, and to do the same thing. Like it was, it was like a target on me that God was just pushing me and ushering me out, you know, saying, if you don't go, I'm going to keep hitting you with these BBs until you get tired of getting stung. And um, the ministry has grown mm -hmm. by leaps and bounds. And the souls that are being impacted over there are just uh, something that, that, that that's amazing. So, yes, um, and it's not just, I, I love your ministry. I love several people's ministry, but. I'm called there, and, uh, and and I'm excited about about opening back up and, and, and serving. Good, good. District 5, Daryl Hurst, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. I don't have to ask you the closing question because you've already answered it about your kids and, and, and where they might want to live, but you've decided to plant your flag here in Baton Rouge, and we're grateful for it. Thank you for taking the time to view. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We'll be back with you again next time. Hopefully next time will be a whole lot sooner than it has been.